0: Matthew 28, starting at verse 16, page 1550 in your pew Bible. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything. I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We have been, since Easter Sunday, studying the Acts of the Apostles. Now, this is by design through the Revised Common Lectionary, and this year's schedule has taken us all over the place In the Bible, so it hasn't been a linear journey through Scripture, but it has been a linear journey thematically speaking. There's something that we are being led toward in this series of readings that we've had over these several weeks. And now on this Trinity Sunday, which kind of marks the end of the whole Lent and Easter and Pentecost cycle. We are... Confronted with what is referred to in the scripture, at least in your Bible headings as the Great Commission Next week we get into what is called ordinal time, meaning that there isn't a particular feast or celebration we're aiming at We're just studying scripture together So this week We are kind of wrapping it up And the way we wrap it up is with Jesus' command to go and make disciples On all the earth. And if we take that in perspective, we can use the other scriptures that we've read and remember that this was supposed to start right here in our hometown and then spiral outward, even including places that might be uncomfortable for you. Like Samaria was for the Jews who had been commanded to leave Jerusalem and go to take the good news elsewhere. The whole idea of a commission in this case is worth looking at. What is a commission? Well, it's like a command, but it comes with a reward. Uh, A command in the military sense of the word would be something that is not to be disputed, and there is punishment if you don't obey. But in the case of a commission, it's a command that comes with a reward. So we might commission someone... To make something for us. We might commission someone to to make a water garden in our backyard. And and then we would pay them for doing so. And in that way we've been commissioning someone with the view of a reward at the end. And so Jesus gives us a command that comes with a reward. So that's what we call it, the commission. And that is why we don't call it the great suggestion. The great request and of course it isn't a command that comes with punishment as a result of disobedience and so as we break down what Jesus is asking of us here what he's commanding us to do really there's there's some questions we need to ask so the question that that first comes is uh, as I'm reading this passage I noticed that they gathered at a Hill in Galilee, and some worshiped and some doubted. I find it interesting that the author gave us this little picture. I think that if you will think, if you will look at this in the context of other things you've read, then one of the things you will know is. That this is a different place. Jesus has met with them in the upper room in Jerusalem. He's met with them at the lakeshore. He's met with them privately at different places. But here, he's doing something that should kind of remind you of, say, the Sermon on the Mount. Where he gets to the hillside, the mountain as scripture has translated it in some places. And he's speaking to a larger group, it seems. So I don't think that this is telling us that there were 11 of the surviving apostles and some of them doubted. Because not only that uh, obvious sort of broader view of it, but the fact is, is Jesus didn't even say anything about anything in response to the doubting. And yet when he met privately with the apostles, with the 11 and their closest friends, uh, if someone had a doubt, like Thomas, for example, Jesus responded to that. He said, hey, Tom, take a look. Let's get this settled right now. In this case, it mentions that there were doubters, but it also says that Jesus' words were plain and simple. Whatever. Here we go. All authority is given to me. In heaven and earth. In other words, he's not dealing with the doubters. There's a place in scripture where it says that there was an occasion where Jesus was seen by as many as 500 people. Maybe this is that time. Maybe this was the place where he was seen by many. And a few just couldn't believe their eyes. Seems reasonable. But after that, then we just really get into the meat of the thing. Jesus is very directed to the point, at least as it's given to us here, and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, period. Now, authority I've found in my lifetime to be a difficult thing for us Americans. I mean, the whole concept of being American is kind of to be a rugged, independent individual, and yet... We have to have a willingness to submit to authority once in a while. We just have to. But I don't know about you, but when I'm driving on the interstate, I see a whole lot of people who aren't willing to submit to authority unless it's behind them with the red lights on. You know, and so the reality is, is that... We struggle against authority. We don't like having people in charge over us. And I think that's a real shame because it hinders our Christianity because we have this identity that we're so wrapped up in that makes us want to be true to ourselves and committed to our own fulfillment and our own well-being and the fulfillment and well-being of those dearest to us. And it all sounds very noble, but it also sounds suspiciously like a lack of respect for authority. And so Jesus' opening statement before he tells us what to do is, is, I have authority over everything And therefore, and he begins to tell you what he wants. So one of the reasons why we talk so much in the world of Christian belief and discipleship about submitting your pride and your will and all of that is because you can't really be a disciple of Christ or anyone else if you're not willing to submit to the discipler's authority. It's very simple. Those who you wish to learn from as you serve alongside them, let's say you're in a trade that has always been a, a, a sort of craft guild that requires you to work as an apprentice under someone else for a period of time. You understand what I'm talking about, right? You, you get it. If you have this kind of discipleship then it's understood that until you have been given authority to teach others you must follow the authority of the one who teaches you and this is how trades are kept at the highest level of skill and expectation over generations and generations and generations so in the same way our discipleship to Jesus Christ acknowledges his authority over everything And then it acknowledges a succession of authority that comes through the disciples, namely from the apostles to the rest of us. And so he essentially is saying to them, I'm giving you authority. In other words, in my name, you go and you make disciples, which is train them to follow in your example as you follow in my example. And then, of course, they will become those who lead by setting an example that others will follow. And everyone here who confesses to be a follower of Jesus Christ, changed by the Spirit and willing to obey Christ, would be someone who has been discipled by someone else. And so this succession of discipleship starts with just these words, and it comes right on down the line to where we are today. And it will not work if you're not willing to submit to a greater authority. The essence of discipleship is equal parts of grace and discipline. You don't get to be a disciple of Jesus Christ until you accept the grace that gives you the welcome into the family of God. And then once welcomed into the family of God, you submit to the authority of And the discipline of that family, and if you're part of a family, you know that your family runs better when it runs by certain disciplines. Because that's discipleship. In my house, my bride and I are the head disciplers of the family way of doing things. And so in especially those years when the children were very young... It was just accepted that we had the authority and therefore they were to follow our lead. We have, as well, a responsibility to the one who leads our lives and therefore would be really, really inadequate if we weren't committed to leading our children towards the one we follow. And so... When Jesus says, all authority has been given on earth and in heaven to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you see how comprehensive that commission is? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit covers everything. He's giving you the authority in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to go and share the good news that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That's the grace. And therefore, if we accept that gift of grace, we become his followers. And therefore, the discipline kicks in. And we live lives that are obedient to his leadership and the leadership that he imposes through those disciplers that he puts before us. It's really that simple. And in the same way as we grow into our own discipleship, we become those who disciple others. This was how the family of faith was intended to grow according to the words of our Lord. Plain and simple. And what about baptism? He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is, in our conversation today, a two-part thing. There is a sense that we are... Teaching that we are bringing people into a faith relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is the baptism, that is to say, the, the Word of God that is washing over. The souls of broken people, sinful people, people who have a bad attitude towards God. And so we wash them with the word of God, inspired by the spirit of God. And in that way, souls are cleansed so that the fog is off the window and off the headlights. And we can now see clearly the truth. And then baptism becomes a statement of faith. And it becomes a profession of faith. It becomes that decision you make to turn your life over to the authority of Christ after having been saved from sin. So that you're no longer in a wrong relationship with God, but a right relationship with God, which is what we mean when we say righteousness. Then there is the act of baptism, which was also part of their plan. Now, in the United Methodist tradition, we can sprinkle you or we can dunk you or any sort of variation in between because the religious tradition isn't the thing. So, I'm more than happy to accommodate you if you want to be baptized in a small way or in a big way. But I will not baptize you privately. Your baptism as an act, as a physical expression of faith, is something you do with others. It's a public statement of a private and inward truth that has taken hold of your life. I prefer, though I don't demand or require, baptism by immersion. And the only reason I prefer it, especially in adults, and young adults is because there's no more profound and visible sign of submission than to let someone shove you under the water and bring you back out again. And you knowing that having done that, you've died to yourself. Maybe for half a second it even felt like you might die. I don't know, did it, Missinda? Yeah. And, and yet you lived, Pastor Dan lets you back up, but more importantly you came back knowing that you had just done something highly significant so that your memory is forever changed by this event. Now that's why the act of baptism I think is so important. If you make a profession of faith and you die before you get baptized, I have no doubt that you'll be with the Lord in paradise. He said that to the thief on the cross who clearly wasn't baptized. However, if you are... So blessed to be able to make this public statement of faith. It will affect how you live out the obedience. And I think that's the main thing. It all comes back to this authority thing. The first thing Jesus says in this particular passage is, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Well, there's no greater way to submit to the authority of another than to let that person immerse you into their will. And you submitting willingly in front of others so there's no question of your commitment. And this is why the act of baptism is so important. So over the years, we will measure our success in the church in a lot of different ways. Greater things are yet to come in the city. But one of the ways that is the most important, as far as I'm concerned, is the acts of professions of faith and baptism. We can have great music and great facilities and great traditions and a lot of other things that we could take pride in. But the thing that says we have been obedient and submissive to the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ is when we reproduce disciples. And if everything we do is geared towards reproducing disciples, we are being obedient. Which is why we've said here for many years now... We are all about being disciples, seeking disciples, and changing the world. And we understand that we change the world by changing our part of it. And if every believer everywhere changed their part of it, most surely the world would be changed. And that's the idea. Plain and simple. So today's reading finishes out the whole story of the resurrection of Jesus and what it was about and what the death and resurrection means to us. And this is what it means. We've been given the power and authority of Christ through the Holy Spirit, and we've been given a message that's plain and simple and a mandate to share it with the world. And so the question you have to ask yourself plainly and plainly and simply is, Am I obeying Christ's authority over my life by sharing this news? And you know, if you're a little new to the game and you're not really sure you can do it, I got news for you. You can start in your house. Moms and dads, we sit between Mother's Day and Father's Day today, and I can tell you that there is no more significant place of discipleship than your house. Do your children? know? Does your spouse know that you submit to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do they know that sharing that good news is vitally important to you and that their complete and total surrender to Christ is very important to you. Can can, can you share that good news? Can you tell your child in the face of things that frighten them that the world is constantly changing and fearful and frightening, things will always be there, but the one thing that never changes is the Lord God and the grace of God to keep you safe from sin and hell and death and to keep you for all eternity. Can you tell your child that in a way they understand? You can do this. And once you can, you know, I don't know about you people, but I found when I was first married to Laura that even though we shared a lot of the same beliefs, it was a little awkward praying together or talking about certain things together. It came with time, even in my own house, even in my own marriage, it was not a common thing at first because there was a little bit of, you know, a fear that somehow we wouldn't speak the same language Now she could finish my sentences for me when I'm talking about my faith and about the Lord and about the way we govern our lives in obedience to the Lord. The last thing I want to say to you is, is why should you submit to his authority in this case? You know, what prevents you from submitting to the authority of Christ in your life? More often than not, it's because we're afraid that something that is really important to us will be lost in the process. This is what usually stops us from being obedient to Christ and those for whom Christ has appointed a certain authority in our lives. It always comes back to comfort, it always comes back to the fear that we're not going to get what we want and what we need. And what's really amazing is is that when you take this discipleship mandate seriously, is that over time, you stop wanting and needing the things that you used to want and need. Over time, your stuff doesn't really matter like you thought it did. Over time, stuff that you think is important to you just doesn't matter like you thought it did. Over time, you become one of those crazy people that goes to church on Sunday morning and just worships God because they can't help it. Over time, you obey because you just can't help it. Not because of fear of consequences, but because of love for the master. You just do it because you want to. It's my pleasure. It's something I'm compelled to do because of my great desire To serve my master. And that is the essence of discipleship. Grace and discipline. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for your word. I pray that you burn it upon our hearts so that we might be changed forever. I thank you for the grace to save us and the discipline to mold us and shape us into the person that you want us to be. I pray that we might all be compelled by our great love for you to obey you and worship you. I pray that you would give us the Spirit's help to surrender our will and our pride and our self-determination and our need to be important. That we just take it all away from us so that the only important person is you and the only need is to elevate you over all of heaven and earth, just as you said it would be. Well, God, I pray this church will be in the business of being disciples and seeking disciples and changing the world for decades to come until you return in glory. Amen. Mm -hmm.